All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Indie podcast. We have today Amanda Friesen, um, which of all the podcasts I've recorded, this is probably one I'm the most nervous about in the most flattering way because uh, she is a genius. She's a badass bitch. And uh, we're going to talk about voting today because as we record this, it is October 29th and um, election day is coming up. So this week we're talking about Vrata and we're gonna talk about why we're using that word in the context of voting, but in its uh, background, it means vow. And so that's why I have Amanda on today. I'm gonna pause there and Amanda, I would love for you to share all that you are. Who are you? Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Shannon. Um, it may surprise you to know this is my first podcast interview. Um, I've, I do quite a few media interviews, typically in election years. Um, in 2018, I was uh, the on-air political analyst for Wish TV, which was, which was pretty fun. But I am an associate professor of political science and women's gender and sexuality studies at IUPUI. I've also been a member of Naptown Fitness and Practice Indie Yoga since 2012. So known Shannon a really long time, probably as long as anybody uh, as I've known in Indianapolis. So this is, this is fun to do as well. Um, if only we would have recorded just all the side conversations we've had <laughs> over the years randomly at the gym, it would make up, it's a podcast on its own. I think it would be then considered a documentary and yeah. um, it, I would watch that over and over and over again, honestly. Right. Absolutely. So we're hilarious. Obviously. We are really, really entertaining. So yeah. Um, so I got my PhD in political science from the University of Nebraska Lincoln in 2012 and uh, started IUPUI that same year. Um, so I'm entering my ninth year uh, at the university. And I consider myself um, or would be considered a political psychologist. So my research focuses on the motivations and foundations of people's social and political attitudes and behavior. So I want to know how their personality, how their gender identity, how their religious orientations, um, all of these things, what make up a person, how that uh, interacts with the way that they engage in politics uh, or if they do at all. So I'm very interested um, in, in this question. And you know, for the purposes of today, um, we know that the United States has very low uh, voter turnout when compared to many other democracies uh, around the world. Um, so on average, you know, you know, maybe people like me or like you or, or folks listening might be very into politics, but if they stop and think about it, uh, the average American is not, right? And so the average person, uh, is not paying as close of attention to a lot of the things that we might think are, are very concerning or of interest to us. And so that's one of the things I want to know is what engages people with politics and what is it about them as people and about sort of um, their networks and who they are that brings them to, to want to engage. So that's kind of um, like my like my research agenda. And if you want to read my research, you can find it at amandafriesen.com. Uh, I'm working on a, a bunch of cool things um, around the election and uh, actually uh, in the process of process of editing a book about the influence of religion on COVID-19 um, behaviors and uh, attitudes uh, that we're, we're hoping to, to finish in the spring. So yeah, have a lot of stuff in the works. 
You're just my heroine. Like I just, if I have a t-shirt with your face on it, are you going to be creeped out if we lift next to each other? <laughs> It'll be like a chic black and white, like just your, you know, I don't and know. I hope it's like this face. Yeah, it'll be that face and it'll be yeah. your silhouette right. of that right. face. Sure. <laughs> the, the religion, how religion affects COVID, I, you said it's going to be a book? Right. So I'm co-editing it, which an edited volume in academia means that there are two people or whatever, there's, there's editors that um, recruit authors to, so each chapter has a different set of authors that are writing it. Um, and so I'll have two chapters of my own in the book. Um, but then we have about 15 other chapters with um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of different contributors. We have sociologists, economists, political scientists, uh, and so on. And they all have kind of a different, um, everything from examining like religious belief and conspiracy theories to um, risk-taking behaviors and its relationship to religion and COVID-19 behaviors to um, I'm writing one about um, access to different kinds of media sources and which types of media sources do religious individuals trust more for COVID-19 information and does this differ by type of religion or type of belief set uh, and so on. Wow, I want to read that so bad. So in the spring, maybe I should come back and I'll talk because it's in the process. Like I just collected data on one of the chapters, uh, it ended yesterday. So my survey was out in the field up until yesterday, so. Oh my gosh. I, okay, I would love to have you back because that sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, well, you hit on religion. So I do want to, I want to get to our word this week, which is brata. Brata means vow. And um, just to sort of call myself out or name a few things before we get into this is that brata originally is a Sanskrit word that would have been used in um, Brahmin or even Vedic cultures uh, tied to religion. So it is a religious word. It would be um, sort of a pious offering or observance of like fasting or, you know, uh, a pilgrimage somewhere. So it, one of the blessings of 2020 and really years prior, but for those of us like myself who, who took a little bit longer to wake up, um, you know, this, if I were to say like vrata, vrata means vow and vow means voting, like that can easily become an appropriation or sort of a colonization of that word. So I just want to name that um, we're talking about this in the context of voting, but that is not the original intent of the word. But our aim at Practice Indy is to bring these ancient teachings into the modern world. And so most people aren't Brahmins anymore, or at least from the lens of where this word came from. Um, and, and yoga in the West is super confusing anyway. So, um, so I think hopefully this is using the word for good and looking at it as um, vrata being vow, vow being what, you, what values you say you're about actually like committing to them over and over and over again. And um, I shared with you before this that I've been listening to Alan Watts's, um, all of his lectures that are available on Spotify. And he brought up, speaking to religion, he brought up that what's confusing or difficult about democracy um, or uh, you know, our republic democracy is that most people believe in faiths that are essentially monarchs. So we are operating under this political realm that is like everybody has a say with most people in a religious context, it says only one person has a say or one person has the ultimate say. Um, so I thought that was really interesting in like, 
I, probably not a thing we're going to get to an answer of, but in contrast is like, to be a citizen of this country, to be a part of our democracy is to not only vote, but then be a servant of, of the union and to be a part of that union in the way that I act. And that can be confusing if that conflicts with your religious beliefs. So I think there is a really interesting intersection of, um, obviously a very interesting intersection of religion and politics. In particular though, today I wanted to talk about and, and get your thoughts on how can we take something like a vow, like our vote, which essentially is a vow. It's saying like, this is what I want to uphold in this country and I will be behind that. But what happens and, um, Maybe you can speak to voter turnout historically in years past and in this year um, is we go, we vote, and then we wait four years. And we just kind of, at least I can say from my very privileged end in the past, I've voted and then I've assumed you're doing your job. So now I'm just gonna live my life and I'm gonna let you serve me and I'm gonna get all the benefits of that. So it's a lot to throw at you, but maybe starting with what is voting? And why is that important? And what are you seeing different about this year in voting than in years past? I think the idea of a vow uh, connecting to citizenship makes a lot of sense. So, you know, generally speaking in a democracy, so, so the idea of democratic values or democratic principles, a lot of times people generally think of a couple of things, right? So if you ask them what it means to be in a democracy, it's usually, well, everybody gets to vote, right? So a vote is sort of the cornerstone of being a citizen in a democracy. And then the other thing they usually say is something about some kind of freedom, right? So in the US, what, you know, when you ask people like, you know, what is it to be an American or what is it to be an American democracy? It's things like freedom of speech, right? So that'll come to mind instantly. And <clears throat> Generally, we think about, like as political scientists, we think about kind of these three main tenets of a democracy. So majority rule, so it has to be, you know, like what the majority of people want. So it's, you know, uh, rule by the people. So that's important, although it needs to be balanced with minority rights, which has been uh, the greatest failure of this country uh, in its history is balancing that with minority rights. And then political equality and political freedom. So majority rule, political equality, political freedom. And so, you know, there's this kind of democracy as process. So making sure everybody has the right to vote and has access to voting. And I think that this year has put a particular spotlight on these differences, um, which I can talk about in a second. And then uh, democracy is substance, right? So, you know, just because everybody has the right and access to vote, let's say everyone's able to vote, that doesn't mean that the substance of what policies come out from these elected officials is democratic in that it's equal and fair and um, provides freedom, right? And there's this tension between all three of these things. So where my freedom butts up against your freedom, you know, can like inequality sometimes comes about after those, uh, uh, those kinds of issues. So particularly economic inequality is due to this sort of, you know, uh, free market wheeling, you know, allowing um, this, uh, uh, yeah, economic and income uh, inequality um, to, to increase, et cetera. So there's, there's this tension between those three things. So it's really difficult to kind of keep those in balance. And I think this year, what's interesting is I've had a lot more conversations with everyday people 
um, about uh, voting rules and laws, et cetera. And we're in a federalist country, which means that we have regional and uh, national government that share power. And there are different powers allowed for each level of government. And so every state gets to decide. And this is why you see all these things like, oh, this state has their polls open this late, or this state allows mail-in voting for everybody. You don't need an excuse, et cetera, et cetera. And so it makes it even more challenging because certain states can then either restrict or expand their access to the ballot. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, uh, you know, this is one of the top ways there, there are a lot of contentious issues in American politics and ones that um, run over the rights and liberties of particular people and particular groups. And there can be a lot of par partisan conversations about these kinds of things, but I think what should never be partisan, well, I think rights and liberties shouldn't be partisan either, but the thing that we should agree on is that everyone should have access to voting and their vote should be counted. This should, there shouldn't be these debates, right? But there is. And, you know, uh, people think that poll taxes and um, literacy tests and all of the things that happened during the Jim Crow era in the South, like, well, that got taken care of with the Voting Rights Act in the 60s. And it's like, but they've found other ways, right? So how many polls are located um, in, in each area. And if you look at the, the people who are waiting the longest in line or who um, are having trouble getting to the polls or having their votes counted, you know, you can see some patterns in, in where this is happening. So, I mean, I would encourage everybody, the top issue they should be concerned about, there's so many issues to care about, but the top issue is put pressure on your city, county, and state officials to make voting as accessible as possible to everybody. Like this should not even be negotiable in a democracy. Yeah. So I am, I am, there's no way to say I'm working the polls without sounding like you are a stripper, which <laughs> totally a um, great profession, but I am sure. not a stripper. I would right. fall off. I have taken poll classes and humiliated myself. Um, so every time I say like, I'm working the polls, I like hesitate mainly because of that. Um, but when I went to, I guess I'm curious about your opinion of like how you've seen Indiana doing is specific to most of the people that are listening are Hoosiers. And I will say from my experience, they have, they have put forth a, a front. And I don't know if it's honest or not, that like they're really working in Marion County to make sure everybody can vote. And that was that did come across to me as um, a concerted effort from Marion County. Yeah, there's, a, and so this is where um, the thousands of state or the thousands of local governments, the 50 state governments and the national government, I mean, it's a cacophony of rules and uh, procedures, et cetera. And so the state of Indiana, as of uh, 2016 um, and 2018, I haven't checked this year um, probably should have, but they were one of two states that had the earliest closing time for the polls, 6 p.m. Um, in 2014, Indiana had like the, the lowest or second lowest voter turnout in the United States of the states, wow. um, which midterm elections are always lower than presidential elections. So that's tip number one, stop turning out just every four years, <laughs> folks listening at home. Uh, and, and anyway, so, so Indiana and, um, every like 
typically every session, Democrats in the General Assembly introduce a bill of some kind to say, hey, can we expand voting hours? Can we do this? Can we do that? And um, Republicans uh, put it aside. I've, I've seen the heads of the state parties have this debate. Uh, IUPUI has symposiums from time to time, political symposiums. And I saw the two heads of the, the parties um, talk about this and the Democratic um, uh, state committee had was like, you know, we want to try to expand access, et cetera, et cetera. The Republican one was like, you know, we just want to make sure though we don't have any voter fraud and that there isn't, you know, um, concerns about people voting twice, you know, all this kind of stuff, which political scientists have studied and economists this extensively and the cases of voter fraud are so small, it's not even, we can't even get people to get out to vote right. at all. Well, yeah. like, they're not voting twice. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so so there's that has been blocked, um, kind of for many years. But what you're seeing is um, cities and counties kind of taking you know uh, matters in their own hands. And so Marion County, for example, you can vote anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the big things about voting in person is who lives and works exactly right. Well, you live by your polling place because it's connected to your address. But like, what if your work is somewhere else like what if you work in Fort Wayne or something and then you have to figure out how to vote in your jurisdiction in Marion County well the Fort Wayne thing wouldn't help but um, they've said that that you can go to any state uh, polling place and you can vote right this is huge so then there isn't this worry of what if someone just moves a street over and doesn't realize that their polling place is different yeah. or something like this right um, so I would say that definitely the expansion of early voting days and locations in Marion County has, has just continued to improve and improve and improve, at least in the time that I've been here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like they were making definitely the effort, but again, um, I, you know, I think for, uh, I don't think I'm in the minority of white women recognizing that their privilege has eclipsed their, um, their awareness of how much they need to step up and be, more active members of society in general. So um, yeah, I mean, as I heard them saying that, I definitely checked myself with how much of this is just what I'm seeing. And, and so yeah, I'm excited to work the polls this year and it not being the only year I do it, but um, it was definitely eye-opening. Like yeah, I live across the street from my polling place. So I, I literally get up and walk there every year. And um, and it's so easy for me, but having the consciousness of like, wow, like some people would have to drive and wouldn't have a car or work all of the hours that they're there. Um, so they literally couldn't vote. I mean, that, that awakening, especially this year, like hit really heavy. So um, I have so far, make sure to turn out for all elections as the number one uh, note of next steps. So We've touched on what voting is, why it's important. Um, what happens after we vote as a citizen? So I mentioned like I, in the years past, I voted and I've kind of sat on my ass for four years and thought like, well, you're doing your job. In your opinion as a political scientist, what would, if we're to take this vow, I'm voting with my opinions and values, how do I then keep that alive? until uh, the next election? And what, what are some of those elections that maybe we're missing, like the primaries or you know, whatever? Voting should be just the most basic task that you do as a citizen of a democracy. 
your citizenship should not begin and end with the ballot box. That is just one piece. When you're a part of a democracy, if you are committed to the values of political equality and freedom every day, you should be thinking about what it means, right? And, I, and I'd like to challenge people to think about how they consider patriotism, right? So what, so to me, patriotism is, isn't to James Madison or Alexander Hamilton. I almost always wanna say that in a sing song voice, Alexander Hamilton. Um, you know, it's not to uh, presidents or the military or to the constitution or to war. My patriotism is to the American people. Mm -hmm. And I look at the people, the Cesar Chavez and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Sojourner Truth and, um, you know, all of the Native American activists and, and chiefs and so on over time and like their constant uh, efforts to make this a more perfect union, right? Like that's what I'm patriotic toward is what it could be. I don't have any kind of, you know, and I, and I challenge people to think, because I know there's this tension. I know a lot of, especially white Americans are feeling like, this is not who we are. And, you know, they're all nervous about, like, they want to love America and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, first of all, do some reading mm -hmm. and realize this, this country was set up exactly how it's running. Um, and, and to step back, and if you really want to love America, love who Americans are you know, the, the good ones. And, and think about, you know, the dreams, um, the visions that people like Angela Davis have had for what we can be, right? Like focus on that. And, and I think that, you know, if you care about the United States, you know, if you really care about this country, uh, then, when, then this vow that you are making to, to be a democratic citizen should be something that you carry out every day. And so this is, I mean, there's a number of ways you can do this. Um, so if you want to link it directly to the vote, once the people are in office, even if it's the person you didn't vote for, they still, you're still their constituent. They still need to serve you, right? So write them letters or emails, et cetera. Uh, call their staff, um, you know, ask them questions about, you know, particular pieces of legislation. The thing that drives me insane, and I, anyone who's talked to me about politics always gets this lecture, is that most of your everyday lives are more affected by your state and local uh, uh, politicians and bodies of government than the national government. Mm -hmm. Unless we're talking, I mean, there's some obviously obvious things, but I mean, even take something like marijuana, right? Mm -hmm. It's illegal, <laughs> but like decriminalized from the federal perspective because of all of these states doing this, right? So the state, right. I mean, it's the easiest way to think about, even though that's not necessarily a justice issue. Well, it is a justice issue in some respects. Don't get me started on states that have legalized marijuana, but still imprison people who were in possession. Um, but I think, you know, to, to hold, you know, to hold our elected officials accountable and just start paying attention, like just get a notice when the city council's meeting and see what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the greatest racial injustice perpetuated in this country is from zoning laws zoning laws, right? Who goes to zoning meetings? Who reads about this, right? And so like, just start getting that on, on your radar, right? Go to these meetings, read the minutes, um, read the stuff. And I know you people can't do anything, but maybe you have a group of friends, you all kind of decide like, hey, I've got zoning, I've got parks and rec, I've got this, I've got that, parks and rec. Think about during COVID-19, when pools are gonna have to be closed down, summer programs, a lot of, a lot of kids get access to food 
and other resources at these programs. And if they're not running because, you know, of course, uh, uh, with the pandemic distance, then this can be problematic, right? Or in nor normal before time years, who gets all the funding? Which kinds of parks and rec programs and where are they located, right? Parks and rec are important. And so like kind of divide, like divide and conquer, like figure, well, that's very violent language, but um, figure out who has, um, you know, each thing and then kind of report back, like make it a thing that you, make it your book club, right? Like make it part of what you talk about so that you're not, you know, the one person who's trying to decide. Environmental policies, mm -hmm. like look at the state of California uh, at some point, right? So go look up a lot of the environmental um, policies that they've put into place. They're usually the most uh, progressive in the US on this and what they're able to do at the state level Mm -hmm. Of course, wildfire thing is, you know, not a great example. Um, well, bad forest management. <laughs> right. It's true. It's true. So, you know, I mean, states have so much power, criminal justice, funding police departments, um, you know, uh, uh, reproductive justice, access, education, how healthcare is delivered, how is paid for, how is insured is all decided at the General Assembly just over here on Capitol Avenue. And how many people actually know who their representative or their senator is for the state? And how many of them have ever communicated with them? I think there's two, and maybe I'm I'm alone in this, but I feel there's this uh, like, almost this like, mm, like famous person barrier, you know, like I can't reach out to them because I'm a peon of, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a pawn in this like large system, which I think, to echo what you said about patriotism is that like the idea is that they are really our pawns and yeah. that you know or we are the puppeteers or we can be the puppeteers but I think it has fallen into the celebrity status of you know senators and anybody that works in government is sort of a celebrity and untouchable and that's been my that's been my mindset for so long um but this is where state and local government is a great entry because yeah, it might be tough to think about calling up, you know, a US Senator or their mm -hmm. office. First of all, you're gonna talk to their staff members. So, but, but the other piece is that um, like city council members and, and state legislators, like they are way more accessible. Like they just live in our neighborhoods and, and this kind of thing and go look up some of them. like. In some respects, many of us are probably more qualified than they are to hold that office. Like, they just decided to run for office. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but the whole, like their job is to respond to constituents. Like that is part of their job. And so we should take advantage of that um, rather than sort of like, well, you know, we trust that they're gonna make the right decisions, et cetera. Yeah, well, and I think, um... Uh, Brene Brown has a whole podcast on the difference between calling somebody out and holding somebody accountable, like calling somebody out, just like ripping someone a new one, but holding someone accountable is saying, hey, you said this, and then you didn't do that. So this is how we hold you accountable to what you said you would do. Um, where might we, do you have any quick resources off the top of your head of like, um, like what is a, what is a website I should just have as a as a tab for something that like I should check every week or every month like where are your political places to go when you want to check up on city state government that kind of thing so I think 
the the communication offices um, should have like press releases um, each week, um, and it kind of depends on where you live, right? So if I, I mean, maybe a lot of the listeners are are here in Indian and and uh, uh, Marion County, so it'd be so it'd be easy. And we have a city county government, right? So we have a merged government, so. Um, so you can kind of look at their public information site um, and, and get those releases, but I would just put like the, the county, city county council, um, like agenda or whatever, like as a, like as a marker. And then I try to follow like on it, whether, you know, what, whatever your social media is, but on Twitter, I follow um, like the, the politics, state and local politics um, reporters from the Indy Star. I follow the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Recorder, which is, um, mm -hmm. Uh, historically black newspaper. They also have a, um, I don't know if it's weekly or bi-monthly uh, newsletter um, that has all of like these stories and updates of like what, like what's going on kind of from their perspective. Um, so that's the other thing is supporting local news is very, very important, right? To, to keeping track of, of this kind of thing. And then I would also find, um, you know, local community groups that are keeping tabs on this, right? And so, um, you know, whether it's like a local chapter of a particular social movement group or interest group that you care about, um, they're going to have different, um, so there's environmental ones, there's racial justice um, uh, ones, there's education, healthcare, this kind of thing. And so they're gonna, like, that's what they do is they keep track, like they have lobbyists or they have people who are, you know, at the state house or on the hill you know, keeping track of these things. And so that's another way, um, you know, to, to stay involved, you know, things like mom's demand, right? So um, for, for tighter gun control laws, like if you follow them on social media or you kind of sign up for their kinds of things, um, some of these groups also will rate candidates. So you can see like if candidates have voted in a particular way, um, you know, for different kinds of advocacies. Um, I, have, I have friends who have, um, family members uh, or they themselves uh, are people with disabilities. And so they have a lot of disability advocacy groups that they follow. And so you just, these groups are out there. Like there's no from scratch, right? Um, there might be a need someplace that could be filled, but um, before any you know nice white ladies with clutched pearls decide to just start up some new charity, like do a little bit of research. I guarantee you there's probably a community group, probably very underfunded, um, but, you know, is, is doing their best effort in our, you know, various corners of our community that you could plug into support um, and be a part of. So it kind of depends on, on the, the types of issues that, that a person wants to focus on, um, but definitely be following like the local news about like, what is our state legislature considering this week? What are, um, you know, what's, our, what's on the city county council uh, agenda? Yeah, those are so great. Thank you. Um, are there any other, I mean, I think you've answered quite beautifully, like how we can maintain our role in democracy, but you know, this, this is a soapbox you are welcome to use. So are there any other um, things you wanna say to general voters that you may never meet about just your, if you're going to show up, I mean, I, so I do have friends who have said, especially in the past, definitely not to my face in the last maybe eight years, but definitely probably before this, um, that they're not going to vote. And I've heard a few people even say it this year that like these candidates don't represent my values. And so I, I have a hard time voting. And I know there's all the conversation around, well, then that's a vote for the person you don't, you, you the lesser, actually the more 
the greater of the two evils is what that's going to end up being. Um, but I guess like, what would be your comment on you know, not voting? Like, what are you saying when you don't vote? And then anything else you'd say generally to people who I think are probably a lot like me, maybe actually a lot of people listening to this, I know are more active politically than I have been in the past, but maybe a little bit about hope or like the possibility of democracy. And when you do engage, when you do live out your vows, what can be possible? So this is a very general, uh, voting for a candidate is not picking a Tinder date or a match.com where you're finding your soulmate. I actually very politically savvy and involved people can be the same way. Cause they're like, well, this, you know, this person doesn't perfectly represent, like I have 15 points they all need to hit and they only get 11 of them. So I'm going to vote the third party candidate or whatever or something. Right. Yeah. Um, or just not vote at all. And I just am baffled by it. Like, is there a candidate or a party on the earth that would match every single thing that you want to have? No, what are you doing? Like, this is, it's absurd to me. Like, why do we expect the United, in the United States, we are very candidate centric. The fact that we know what religion and like the divorce mm -hmm. status of our candidates in most, in many countries and many democracies, you just vote for the party. And then it's like, whatever is their assigned person from your area, that's who gets in. Like, they don't know these people's middle names. Like, they don't know like, like that they wrote for a communist newspaper in college or whatever it is. Like, it's just absolutely bizarre to me how obsessed we are with like the personhood of our candidates. Like, mm -hmm. and so I just try to think about voting and this whole lesser of two evils. It's like, that's not, vote for the person who's going to have the coalition that's going to match the closest approximation of how you think our society should be run. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you vote for. So if you're a Democrat or if you're like a, le like a lefty progressive and you're like, oh, Biden's too centrist. It's like, okay, but who's going to be voting in the house? Like, and who's going to be, you know, like, I don't, and yeah, so I get really frustrated with this like perfect candidate thing that is just yeah. also the second thing that that is that that does. People of color and historically marginalized and currently marginalized groups never say this. Do you think these like white bread candidates match everything they want? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Right? right. And so the, the amount of hubris, privilege and just general assholery it takes to say I just don't like this candidate I just don't think they match up with what I want like I just I cannot handle it like I, it is the most selfish arrogant ridiculous thing you're not voting for yourself because you know what if you don't have to vote life is probably pretty fine for you things yeah. are probably not going to change a lot for you so vote I and mean, we've all seen these memes right whatever like vote as if this was your life, etc. And right. so like, yeah, so don't look for a candidate to be your soulmate. And think about generally speaking, what kind of coalition are they going to have around them? Um, and, and of course, this is, this is like at the national level where you know a lot about, you know, candidates and parties and so on at the local level, level, it can be, um, you know, a little bit more challenging, because there's, there's some less, there's less information, maybe perhaps, but um, so yeah, so I would say, so I would say those two things. Um, and then I was gonna say, you asked if I wanted to instruct people in another way. Oh, um, so I think 
yeah, I think really consider why you as a person who's never been involved or cared about politics, why you've never had to, or why you never wanted to, right? And, and what exactly, um, you know, this is, this is where, you know, every time reproductive justice comes under fire, all of a sudden you get an influx of white ladies from the suburbs who have an interest in politics. And it's, it's uh, fine, I guess, like whatever, but it's deeply offensive, you know, to, to people mm-hmm. who have a concern for, for all justice issues ac- across the way. So um, yeah, I think kind of really deeply consider what it means um, to not have to care or pay attention. Um, and then, you know, you and I talked a little bit over email about spheres of influence, um, you know, particularly, you know, folks who belong, you know, perhaps to our, to practice indie um, or to the gym, you know, we have a lot of professionals, a lot of folks who work in um, very influential places, you know, think about how the things that you care about, whether it's environmental protections and climate change or racial justice or protections for LGBTQ individuals, like what is your company doing around these matters? You know, what are your clients doing? Um, you know, what's happening in your school districts or in your neighborhoods? You know, I like, I deleted the next door app and I sent a very long, strongly worded email to its developers to say, could, can you figure out a way to have a community building, non like completely racist, terrible app, like it is awful, right? Yeah, like, and so- Um, Yeah, I just, I just think that, and I I know people are probably thinking like, Amanda, that sounds exhausting. Do you really look in every single like place in life, what you watch, the jokes you listen to, the music, the, you know, who you talk to, what they say, how you, where you eat, how you, do you all the time? Like, how do you do that? And it's like, well, I'm not very fun at parties. Well, well, you, you wake up. I mean, I think I, you know, I don't know any other way to be, Shannon. I don't know I, any other way to why be. I love you. It's why I fucking love you. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, I want to go to every party you go to. And if it's like three of us who are just Debbie Downers or, you know, or sharing weird factoids about right. wallpaper in um, Norway. Was it Norway that you told me about that? It was in uh, Manchester, but yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I want to be at that party. So I think too that um, I, I've tried to share openly about my own privilege and my own awakening to the fact that like I, you know, I almost <laughs> called you before this to be like, can you just give me like a quick like political science like history lesson because like I think I slept through that in school, um, but I also went to probably one of the most privileged white high schools in the country, and so I I would not be shocked if a lot of that information was not covered as heavily as certain other pieces of information because that would make me a citizen that would go against everything they wanted, right? So um, I think that, yes, it sounds exhausting at the outset, but, and I'm I'm by no means a perfect citizen, but I have slowly started to build, um, I got a subscription to the New York Times because I believe in the way that they report a lot of what they report and I want to hear about that. And so I have to put my money there. So I've, I have subscribed to them and I am a monthly subscriber to PBS and WFYI and, you know, things that like, those are baby steps for me, but now I'm getting their newsletters every week and I'm reading the newspaper, the physical newspaper every week. And, um, I think once you wake up to the cost of what's on the other side of that and who loses, 
um, it just becomes a no brainer. And then it becomes less interesting. Like I just can't, I just don't find the things that I used to find, the ignorant things that I used to find interesting, I'm too aware now for them to be interesting to me. And so while, yeah, it might feel a little overwhelming, it just becomes the way you live because you live your values. And once you start proclaiming your values and you honestly believe in those values, which is a whole nother podcast conversation, but when we do goal setting, we talk about claimed versus borrowed values. I think voting is very much a conversation around that. Like, what were you told you're supposed to value? And a lot of us probably vote in our first election like that. Um, and then as you get older and hopefully you wake up, you realize there's a lot more. And then either you claim that and that fit or you move to a different set of, set of ideals. So it does sound exhausting, but I also think this year, this year has given me hope in the system because people are vocalizing that this isn't enough. This isn't okay. This isn't enough. This isn't, yes, this is how the system is meant to run, but it could be better. And I'd like to think that that is the spirit of not all, but many Americans who came here seeking a better life, who came here seeking equality in other places they couldn't get it. And I do think while that's not happening yet, um, we have the potential, we have the possibility, and we have people who care. So that gives me hope, I guess. Well, and, you know, I think I forgot hope was your other question. Um, <laughs> well, so I, it's funny, though, like, I, I find myself, even though I live in this space, I work in this space, my whole life is this space, in a lot of ways. Um, I, and, and maybe it's just, uh, just some idiosyncratic, like strong mental health or something like this. But, but I don't know, like I, I have like a, um, like a manageable level of despair. Mm. And, and so, you know, one, one part of hope, I guess, is, is something like um, this year, there are more women uh, running for office than ever before. The record was set in 2018. Um, and 2020 is breaking that record. And this includes both Democrats and Republican women. Um, there are more Democrat women running, but there is an increase in Republican women running. Um, there are more individuals from underrepresented groups, both uh, racial and ethnic groups, as well as um, folks from the LGBTQ community. Um, so our state houses are gonna be browner. Hey, Max, <laughs> are gonna be browner and uh, more queer, I think, than, than they've been, right? And so when you think about, I know a lot of folks are, are concerned about the Supreme Court confirmation this week and what that means, but if state houses aren't enacting laws that will then be uh, challenged in the court system and then have to be decided at the Supreme Court level, if it's not even happening at the legislative level, then that helps you know protect us a bit. So rather than just like despair at what's happening in the Supreme Court, Let's get busy. Like let's let's get active in making sure that you know the um, kinds of protections that are needed for um, hey Peter <laughs> LGBTQ individuals and um, uh, women's reproductive freedom and so on are you know are are protected at the state level, right? Um, so we don't have to worry 
or, or so there's a, or even within Congress, right? And so like the Supreme Court doesn't have this, they have no enforcement power. Like they can't enforce things, you know, to be the case. They still rely on these other branches and levels of government to, to enforce um, uh, things. So, I mean, I think that's the thing is you have to maintain a bit of hope um, to keep working. Like if you just, if you just like spiral into nihilism, like that, what is that gonna do, right? I mean, it's fun for a bit, but. Well, I do, I, I think this conversation has definitely highlighted for me that the, the arrows go both ways and they're probably heavier from us going out than they are from down going back. That, <laughs> but I think this celebrity status, can you say hi to Amanda? I think this celebrity status that we put on the Supreme Court, that we put on our elected officials gives us, especially those of us who carry a lot of privilege, a lot of out to be like, well, they've they've got it or that's what it is. And what I'm hearing is that once you establish what you value and you vote on that value, then it's still in your hands to keep that ball moving in that direction or even the conversation about not voting, you know, or, or voting for someone who you don't think you match up with. Well, now you have even more responsibility to get your voice heard. Like if that doesn't reflect you, Mommy. then there's a lot of work ahead to make sure that the next elected official is either you or, right. you know, right. or you are doing the work to get your values heard because they clearly weren't on the ballot this time. Right. Yes, dear. Oh, I'm wearing borrowed socks. Speaking of a class citizen. Oh. Uh, Annie. They're Annie's socks, everyone listening. They're Annie's socks. I'm wearing Annie's socks, okay? I understand. It's dishonest. She, she left them here, and now I'm wearing them. Magnus is calling me out. So. An accident. Okay. Well, now that I've been called out for my values, I feel like <laughs> I need to go because I am a thief. Annie, I'll get your socks back to you. Um, Amanda, thank you so much. This is so helpful, and I hope... Um, Okay, in a moment, tell me in just a moment, I hope that this conversation is one, I'm glad my daughter is here, because I hope it's one that she has from jump and never stops having and is just voting to echo you earlier is just what she does is the bare minimum of her existence in this country. And I hope this year we turn around saying what we believe and not doing anything about it, but really being living our, our word. So Anything else you want to say? <laughs> um, you know, take care of each other. Um, and, you know, um, I, I do want to say this sort of like uh, kind of ceaseless, exhausting work. This doesn't mean like doom scrolling the news like for hours and hours and hours. That's not what I'm talking about. And I think this is where it's key to get um, I like your idea of like having a tab that you go to, or if you have a, um, like you get an, like an email newsletter or, you know, you follow some social media accounts um, of certain sources so that you go there and you check and you make sure you're kind of like understanding what's happening, but you don't have to sort of like despair read, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and so on. And, you know, one plug I will make, so I'm a big, I'm a Washington Post fan. Um, that is who I think is uh, the best reporting of record in the US. And on their site, they have what's called the Monkey Cage blog, and it is run by political scientists. And if like every week they put out a, uh, a newsletter, but, but to, that kind of highlights what they've talked about. But if there is something politically related, policy related happening anywhere in the world. 
they typically have a person. So like um, uh, in, in Chile last week, they announced that they are, you know, uh, writing in or creating a new constitution, mm -hmm. right? And so they have a South American politics expert who kind of wrote up, here's what we know, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, I actually get most of my news filtered through experts. Mm -hmm. So like they kind of put it in context and they sort of help you understand, okay, here's what we know about, um, you know, the conflict situation or, or what's happening in Nigeria, right? Mm -hmm. With the anti-robbery uh, police squad. So like having people who study that area of the world, um, you know, kind of help understand, well, what are the roots of this? You know, um, you know what's being done right now? You know, that kind of thing. And so that's, that has helped me, I think also sort of calm, like center calm myself because it, it kind of, it, I don't want to remove the, the emotion or the, the tragedy of things, but, but in order to be an effective citizen, I need to at least have it like uh, put together in a framework. And it helps me to think about it a bit intellectually and then make some decisions from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah. I, I mean, my life hack was the getting the news every week with, uh, so I could delete Instagram and not feel bad about not reading the constant updates. If I get the news on Sunday, I will sit down, I will read that newspaper and I will feel like, I will feel like I'm engaged, you know, without consuming my entire life and every single new post that comes up because that was definitely taking my, my uh, mental health as a hit. My last plug that I'll say since um, Amanda is a tenured professor at IUPUI and I, I think I'd be considered an adjunct professor. I teach yeah. you at IUPUI and my students uh, hopefully listen to this and, um, and folks that practice Indy, you know, I think the question of why, why bring this up on a yoga podcast, um, there's nothing more yogic than being an active citizen. Because if you choose not to practice yoga in a cave and a loincloth, you are choosing to be a householder. And being a householder means you are doing your yoga, not just for yourself, but for the good of humanity. Um, so if you're listening, you got this far and you're wondering why are we having this conversation? It's because there's nothing more yogic than being, uh, than caring for other people and, and being an active citizen in, in doing that. So Amanda, you are amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your time, for your genius, for what you do in the world, for writing books on the convergence of religion and co or editing books yeah. in 19. I can't wait to read that, especially your two chapters. Um, and just thank you for being a member and a, a wicked human being. Um, thank you for creating a community that has you know, evolved into having these kinds of conversations.